Well, as we've been talking about this morning, uh, we are starting a new emphasis on missions for the month of March. Uh, and so on March 22nd, uh, three Sundays from today, we'll be having our missions contribution uh, to fund all of the mission work that will go on in 2015 around the world and here at home. Uh, but today we want to talk about uh, ministry in this city, in the city of Dallas and the suburbs that we live in around Dallas. So I'm excited to share some things with you. You know, it's interesting, growing up, I remember thinking about missions and missionaries as something that people did overseas somewhere else. Like we would give the money, you know, and then we would find some people who were crazy enough to go move to a third world country and learn another language and, and do the real work of missions over there. But what's been interesting has been watching the shifting ground here in America while we were off doing that mission work other places. Because it's pretty shocking to see the numbers of people here and the mission field that this place is today. It's like things shifted under our feet and we didn't even notice it. In fact, I was looking at stats this week. And when it comes to the top mission fields, and the way that's defined by Barna is uh, the most unchurched people in a country. Uh, the, the top country is actually China. It's the largest mission field that's yet to be reached. And it's amazing when we hear reports that are coming out of China from house churches and the secrecy of all that goes on there. God's really doing an incredible move in the country of China. In fact, we already are hearing about plans that are being made within China right now of missionaries who are going to be leaving China when the borders open to this kind of thing eventually, when God lets this happen, and already taking the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem. I mean, amazing stuff. Hundreds of thousands uh, hundreds of millions even uh, of people, it seems, are following Jesus in China. The second country uh, is India. The third country is Indonesia. But the fourth country is the United States. And when I saw those numbers, I was shocked by it. Because I don't think about the United States being this large mission field. But the truth is it is. As Barna did their research, they said that 195 million people in America are unchurched at this point. Now we could quibble over those numbers and say, well, that's not the right scorecard, Colin. Because church isn't the only way to determine who followers of Jesus is. And I understand all of that. I just don't think it's that valuable uh, an argument this morning. Because the truth is, we live in a place where the harvest is plentiful. And we need more workers, not just to go overseas and share this message in places like China and India. But we need to realize that this is a place where the gospel needs to get planted more deeply than it is right now. We need to see a resurgence of the gospel here in North America. And this can only come through God and his growth. We plant the seeds, we water. It's God who brings the growth, so we remember that. But I think there's a challenge in our day and in our age in the 21st century that we need to be reminded starts here. Which brings me to an announcement about one of those Sundays coming up where we have an opportunity with that. Easter Sunday's coming up in four Sundays, or five Sundays, I guess it is. It's April 5th this year. And so I want you to be thinking about who you might be inviting to, to Easter service. It's one of the easiest services to invite people to because most people are looking for a place to come on Easter Sunday. And so we'd love for you to encourage people to come here. We'll put some materials in your hands to hand out to neighbors and friends. But we wanted to let you know about a schedule change because we have a lot of people who are going to be there on that Sunday. Uh, on the average Easter Sunday here at Greenville Oaks, looking back historically, we have about 30% more people who are there than on the average Sunday. And so in order to uh, receive those people well, to be hospitable to ourselves and to our guests, we're going to have three services on Easter Sunday. There's not going to be a Bible class so that we can accommodate all the people for these services. There will be an 8 o'clock service, a 9.30 service, and an 11 o'clock service. So we wanted to let you know this ahead of time. 
for a couple of reasons. One, so you can invite neighbors and friends, but also there's a difference of child care and ch- children's worship available. In 8 o'clock service, uh, there will be just nursery that will be staffed. But in our 9.30 and 11 o'clock services, there will be the entire worship service. We'll have a worship option for our children for them to go through for the entire uh, hour that we're in worship together. It's a way to try to meet our, our, our neighbors and friends. And honestly, it's a blessing to us who have uh, kids in the service. <laughs> it's, it's difficult sometimes, right? And so this will be a great opportunity for us to do this, to be hospitable to neighbors and guests. But what we need for that to happen is for some of you to choose to, to be here, not just for one service and go off with your family. Our challenge is for you to attend a service and to serve at one of these services. Find a way of service. The greatest ways to serve and that we challenge you to do is in the area of children's ministry. There's a, something called safe place training that we make sure that our children's volunteers are, 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 have gone through background check and all that. We want our kids to be safe in this place. So if you've been safe place trained, we really need all hands on deck if we can on Easter Sunday for one of those services. And if you haven't been safe place trained, greeting ministry is the place that you can serve in our parking lot ministry, uh, greeting, ushering, any of those things. So after service today, I want to invite you to go to the Faith at Home Center just across the way here, and sign up for one of those services so you can serve in one of those ways so that we can welcome our neighbors and friends in the best way possible. Back to this topic of missions. We're going to talk about this a little bit this morning, what it means to be a people in this city who are reaching out for the name of Jesus. We're learning the value of hospitality around our tables. It's just that we need to learn the value of hospitality in all of our lives. But what I want to quickly dispel are some assumptions that I had growing up, and I think some of us probably hold on to still. So I want to talk about those this morning. First, missions is not spending money to send other people overseas to do mission work, okay? I mean, that's part of missions is sending people who have that full-time job. But the truth is, all of us are missionaries. So this is, our, our, our job's not done when we put the check in the plate for the year to say we've done our mission work, right? We are all missionaries in our everyday lives. And then also missions is not something done in other other countries alone, right? We've got to realize that we stand in a place where missions needs to be done today. You, every single one of us, are missionaries. And the series of this title is Just Go. And that's what we're challenging you to do. Not just to put your money like most years. The missions team and the elders really want to challenge you to take the next step when it comes to missions. So maybe today as you've talked with our community partners during our class period, or or you get to know about opportunities in our neighborhoods and and community, find a way to serve and to plug in and to to share the name of Jesus with people you know. Maybe it's evangelistic opportunities. I know of people that are praying for those opportunities and having Bible studies on a regular basis. Maybe it's that. Maybe next week as we talk about short-term mission trips, this needs to be the year that you choose to go on a short-term mission trip. Next week we'll have dates available for where that's going, and you can sign up next week for those. And then the Sunday after, we'll talk about foreign missions. Maybe some of you will come out of this series feeling a call to become a missionary someplace. And we don't want to close the doors on what God may call us to do. So I just pray and ask in prayers that you guys will open your hearts. The Spirit will work to convict us for whatever that next step is for us here at Greenville Oaks. Let's pray together as we open uh, the Word this morning. Father, this morning I pray that you would convict and touch hearts as only you can do. And I pray, God, this mission that you called us on would not just be something we talk about with our missionaries. And we want to continue to pray for them that their work would be done well, God. We're so glad that we have a history and a continuing work at all places around the globe, in Africa uh, and in Canada today. God, we pray for those works. But we pray that we can expand that and we can see more growth happen here at home. That we would uh, encourage ourselves, God, and be encouraged to, to invite people into a saving relationship with Jesus. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching. 
so that Christ can be formed in our hearts and our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Holly and I are so glad to be back in the great state of Texas. And I got to tell you, we love the city of Dallas. Holly grew up here all of her life. I was here uh, much growing up as well. And I love this city. It's the ninth largest city in the United States, Dallas is. And if you take the DFW Metroplex, it's the fourth largest metropolitan area in the United States. It's a great city in so many ways. And, and, and if you've grown up here all, all your life, you may not realize what you got. We got it back here as fast as we could when we got away. I lived in San Diego, which was a great city. I've lived in Denver. But this is home, and this is where we're glad to be back to. And my contention this morning is that Dallas is a city that God loves. Now that's just not, that's not just Dallas, but I want to make the point this morning about cities. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at all of Scripture, really. I want to go to some different passages, and I want to talk about how God looks at cities and why he loves cities in the way that he does, Dallas being one of those cities and the cities that we inhabit in the suburbs. But that might not be clear to you, this love of cities, when you open up Scripture in Genesis 1. Because this whole story doesn't start in a city, does it? Starts in a garden. And the cities that are mentioned early on in Genesis aren't exactly great examples of great cities. I mean, think about it going back, right? You've got the first city that's ever built comes, and it's built by a guy named Cain, of all people. Cain's a murderer. He killed his brother Abel, and he's the first guy to put a city together, at least as Scripture describes the story. And then you continue on in the story, and you read about Canaan and Jericho and, 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 and Babel, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you noticed there's no Sodom and Gomorrahs today anywhere? We don't name our cities that kind of stuff. Because cities have this connotation in Genesis of evil, of a bunch of people that get together and seem to do wrong all the time. But somewhere through the Old Testament, there comes a transition where God begins to open up and see cities as better things than the way Genesis views it in the start. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open to the book of Psalms. We'll have the words on the screen also for you. But Psalm 107 is where I want to read from. Part of this transition that we see in how God views cities and how we are to view cities as well. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 4. It says there, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So Psalm 107 talks about city in a very different way than those early cities. Now city is seen as a place of comfort, a a place of plenty. The desert is the place of wandering and not having enough. And the people of God are to thank him for bringing them to a place where finally they have enough to go around. So you see that in Psalms, but as the story continues on in the book of Isaiah, it even gets more positive looking to the future. Now remember, Isaiah is written to a bunch of exiles who are waiting to go back to their homeland. So these are people who aren't in the city of their birth. They're wondering if God's going to really be there among them because the temple's not there anymore for them to worship at. So in Isaiah 65, this is what Isaiah shares. To me, a message of good hope for us as well. Isaiah 65 and verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem. To be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. 
He's talking about a day in the future where they'll get to return to Jerusalem. But this is a new heavens. This is a new earth. This is a day that God promises where things will be made new and it happens in a city. Which just happens to show up a similar theme in Revelation. When John has this vision of of the future, of of how things will be. Revelation 21, I want to read verses 1 through 5 as he picks up on the theme Isaiah just mentioned. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is good news, right? And it shows a transition because in the very beginning of things, things start in a garden. But our promise is that eventually one day when God makes all things new, it's going to be in a city, actually. And I love this transition. And to me, it's helpful as we look at mission to our own city to see that God has a plan for cities. In fact, he's trying to redeem cities in some way. And then why does God love cities? Let's think about that for a minute. Let's think about it this way. Genesis talks about how humans are created in the image of God, right? When you think about cities, cities are dense with people. In fact, you think about a city like Manhattan or, or Seoul, South, you know, South Korea, or places like that. These are people, people are just filling this place. Same with Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. But this is the way Genesis would talk about it, is that cities literally have more image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. And if we have eyes to see that, that people aren't a burden or in our way, like if some of you were in an accident or on the roads this week, you might have thought, right? If you have eyes to see then all of a sudden you realize that the image of God is dense in this place, that, and dense in a good way, right? Not in a bad way, but where people are created in the image of God, and cities have a tremendous amount of ability to produce things for creativity because people are together. And I believe God cares for cities. You know, today, about 50% of the world's population lives in cities or metropolitan areas. 50%. Now, less than 200 years ago, less than 200 years ago, only 5% of the pop world's population lived in cities or metropolitan areas. Think about that transition in our world. From 5% to now in America, 75% of Americans live in, a, in an urban or a suburban area. So the tremendous shift in our culture shows us where we end up. And so so many of us have moved to the city. And you think about Dallas, where it was, and now Allen, Texas, is now like you know inner ring of the suburbs compared to where it's going. People are drawn to one another, and God uses these cities to work as good, and he loves cities like Dallas, which brings me to the book of Jeremiah. If you have your Bibles, I'd really like you to open there, because this is a place I'll I'll, I'll land for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 29 is where I'd like you to to turn to. Now, Jeremiah is also written to a bunch of exiles, right? These are the people of God who were in Judah and Israel, but they were taken away, and now they're living in in exile, in a place that's not their homeland. So land is really important for them to think about and return to. And the struggle is, what do we do now that we're not at home? What do, where do we worship now that the temple's not here? Is God still, still with us? He's punishing us through this exile. Where's God in the midst of this? And, and Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles in, in Jeremiah 29. Now, if, if you're familiar with Jeremiah 29, it's probably verse 11, if you remember anything. 
Like it's always the one that, you know, when it's Senior Sunday, you know, send off your kids with that blessing, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin that for all you parents who are planning that, you know, this Senior Sunday. So find another verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's read that together. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that's a great verse, right? That's a hopeful verse when you read it out of context. Because when you read the rest of this letter, you realize this is harder news than what that seems to say. Because well, let's, let's look, look around at this verse just a little before that. Verse 4. Let's start reading there. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if you prosper, If it prospers, you too will prosper. And then in verse 10, he tells them how long they're going to be there. And have you noticed this before? Right before verse 11, 70 years they're going to be in exile. In other words, I have plans to give you a hope and a future, but it's not for you, it's for your grandchildren, okay? You're going to die in exile. And hopefully one day, God's promise, 70 years from now, you're going to get a chance for your grandkids to leave. The truth is you're going to be in exile. So what do you do in exile? Well, in verses 4 through 7, he tells us. It says you settle down. You build houses there. You go ahead and marry, and you marry your sons and daughters. Have kids. Pray for the city. Do all you can to prosper the city, because when the city prospers, you will prosper as well. And let me tell you, that's not what they wanted that letter to say. They wanted that letter to say, uh, okay, I'm going to get you out of here as fast as possible, and i got an army on the way. But that's not what God says. God says, in 70 years, you get to go home. So tell your kids stories about Jerusalem, because they'll get to see it, and you never will. I mean, imagine receiving that letter. That's hard news. But I think it's important for us to realize what he is saying to them. And he's saying, look, you're in a foreign land. Go ahead and live, on, live life. Don't wait for, and some of us are living in exile right now, we feel like, don't we? Waiting on the next thing to come. Maybe some of you here, Texas feels like exile to you. I can't imagine how you would say that, right? But people say the same thing about Colorado for us. We, home is home, right? Home is where we grew up in some ways. And some of you may not have had good home experiences. And, and this is where you're planting home. But for those of you who feel like you're in exile right now, I want to challenge you with what Jeremiah says. That God's plans are to prosper you. It just may not be on the timetable you want it. And while you're here, in this season, Don't wait till you can go back home. Settle down. Build houses. Marry, have sons and daughters. Pray for the city and help it prosper. Because when the city prospers, you'll prosper. There's something about that that's comforting to me in the midst of of trouble and turmoil. That We think, man, God, if you could just come and fix everything in this moment, everything would be better. And his response to, to the exiles is, no, no, no. Just go on with your life. You can't wait around for me to do and put you where you want me to put you. Some of you learned this lesson, haven't you? Well, you're ready for the next stage of life. And it seems like we always do this, right? Well, I can't wait till the day I'm in a relationship. And then you get in a relationship. I can't wait till we get married. And then we get married. I can't wait till we have kids. And, then, and eventually your whole life's passed you by waiting on the next thing, realizing, what's next? Why didn't I enjoy life in the season that I was in? Some of you can get up here and tell this story better than me, right? What does it look like to enjoy our life? Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes, doesn't he? There's nothing better to enjoy the wife of your youth. 
Eat well, eat, drink, and be merry. He's not an Epicurean. He's just trying to say, hey, eat where you are. Love life where you are. This is a good season of life, even if it feels like you're in exile. See, part of our, our, our mission as the people of God is to, to share the good news of Jesus. It's to disciple people, right? We're to make disciples of all nations. So there's no doubt we're supposed to share the good news, to, to baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, God the Father. We do that. But part of what Jeremiah is saying is part of the role of every disciple is to build the city that they're in and help it prosper. We're in the project of helping Allen and the surrounding cities become a better city because we're present in it. Amen? That's what it looks like to be the people of God. We are called to love this city. So the question I have for you is, do you love the city you live in? That's hard because I want to say Dallas or Allen, but we live in a lot of cities around here, right? We live in Plano and Richardson, and we live in, somebody reminded me, Princeton. I missed that one in first service, right? Lucas and Melissa and Carrollton. I'm not going to go on. I'll miss them, right? But the point is we live all over these cities. Do you love the city that you live in? We can't talk about cities and our love for it without looking at Jesus and his love for cities. So I want to have you turn to Luke chapter 19. There's a passage of Scripture that's pretty interesting. It's when he's riding into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. Now, Jesus was born in a small town of Bethlehem. But he spent some time in Jerusalem, the big city, and that's where he ends up getting killed before he's resurrected. We'll celebrate that story in a few weeks. But when it comes to this story in Luke chapter 19, he's riding in on the colt. This is the triumphal entry story. And I want to read picking up in verse 36. This is Luke 19, verse 36. As he went along, Jesus, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the name the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He's always ready with a reply like that, right? As he approached the city of Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if, if you even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That's a hard word that Jesus is sharing with Jerusalem. But this is a city that's killed the prophets over and over again. By the end of the week, the same crowd that's yelling Hosanna is going to end up killing this Messiah, Jesus. Not exactly good news. But I want you to notice the response of Jesus to all this. What does he do? He wept. Now all of you probably memorized that verse about Jesus wept, right? Because if you needed it in a Bible you know, contest to remember too many verses, that was always an easy one to remember. But I think this passage is interesting because what's he weeping over? He's weeping over the city. Now if I'm Jesus and I know that later the same crowd is going to turn on me and have me killed... I think my, my emotion would be anger. Don't you think it would be for you? Who, these people don't really mean what they're saying. They don't even know what they're saying. But the response of Jesus is not anger. The response of Jesus is compassion. The response of Jesus is weeping over the city because he loves this city just like he loves every city because the cities are full of people made in God's image. He knows that in 70 AD this place is going to get destroyed. And yet his call is to love these people. He's not moved to anger. He's moved to tears. For the past few months, 
I've been praying a prayer as I've been driving through this city, trying to learn to love this church and learning to love this city and making this our home. There's a prayer I've been praying, and I'd invite you to pray this prayer. My only kind of warning is it's kind of wrecked my life, so do it at your own peril. This is the prayer I've been praying. God, help me to love Dallas like you love Dallas, or insert the name of the city you're in. Help me to love what you love in this city and break my heart for what breaks yours in, your, in this city. I would just challenge you this week as you're driving wherever you go to work, wherever your home is, to just drive the streets and pray this prayer. God, open my eyes to what it is that you love in this city because I want to love this city like Jesus loved the city of Jerusalem. He wept over When's the last time you wept over your city? You, you cared so much about the city that... When it came down to it and you saw the brokenness, you watched the news, you just wept. Tears fell from your eyes because this is a city that you love. We as the people of God are salt and light and we're to cry for our city when it's not what it should be. We're to weep tears when we're not what we should be. But then I want to come to the story of Paul. So we've talked about Genesis and the Old Testament and Isaiah and Revelation and Jesus. But Paul, it's interesting, the journey, because if you were to open your table of contents, in fact, if you have your Bibles, feel free to. The table of contents there is interesting. The, the New Testament books, have you noticed what they're named? I mean, they're, they're named after guys who write the books or that they're written to. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy, James, Philemon, Titus. All, you know, there's a lot of names that are in there from people who wrote them. But have you noticed the other books that are in there? Galatians and Ephesians and Corinthians and Thessalonians. and These are the names of cities in that time. I think it's amazing if you think about it because these are, these are cities full of decadence and, and idol worship and, and everything about them could have been seen as evil if you had the wrong eyes to see. But if you have the right eyes to see, all of a sudden the books in our Bible that I reference on a regular basis, when I say Ephesians, well, that would have meant something different to people in the first century before Jesus came. But now it's the book of the Bible and there was a church planted there because, you know, churches weren't named, uh, you know, Elevation or, you know, Summit or, or Baptist or Church of Christ. or Churches were named for the city that they were in. This is the city of the, to the saints at Ephesus is what he would write. Or this is a church that's written to the church at Philadelphia or, or Laodicea. They were known by the city they were in. And they were trying to turn that name around from what it meant at one point to now these are followers of Jesus who are trying to change what this name means. So today we know about the church of Ephesus and we don't know what they would have thought of in the same way. And I love that Scripture does that. It reminds us that these churches are for their cities. They're to love these cities. They're to make a difference in these cities. That was the whole mission plan for growing the church. Paul goes around to all these churches and cities, and what does he do? He just tries to find some people in the synagogue or around a river to find a few disciples that can continue there. And he writes some letters in hopes that at some point that seed might blossom into something big. I mean, think about how crazy that idea is. Here's this huge Roman Empire. Everything's there to stamp you out. But the idea is if we could just get a, a group of Christians in Ephesus and Corinth, I'm sure they got you know, pins on a map. They're like, if we could just get that city with just a few people, then maybe one day it'd be turned around. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul's in Athens, like this important city in that time period. You think about the Parthenon and the gods that are around there. And, and, and Paul shows up there. And he's not met with great response, really, but... There's a few that kind of catch on, don't they? And all of a sudden, the city becomes one of the places the church is planted. And then in Acts chapter 18, he goes to Corinth, one of the commercial centers in Europe. And, 
And there's these Christians that are kind of messed up when he writes those letters, right? It's not a great church, but, but it starts there, and it's going to grow from there. And then, and then in the next chapter, in Acts chapter 19, he's moving cities to Ephesus. And, and boy, Artemis is the god in that town. You don't take over Artemis. That was one of the great wonders of the world, right? They, the temple to Artemis. But if we could just get a few disciples, then maybe this group of Christians could eventually overtake even Artemis. It was a crazy idea. And then at the end of the book of Acts, he's in Rome. He's getting killed in Rome. But the idea is, one day, you know, there might be a church that could be in Rome. Crazy idea, right? There might. That maybe one day, and today, ISIS is writing threats to that city because it's now known as a city where Christians are. I mean, it's just amazing to me to think about this plan. It doesn't make any sense. How could these small group of people make such a difference? But that's exactly what happened. They lived a Christ-like life. They lived trying to be witnesses to the testimony of God. And what happens? This church grows. And a part of the world they didn't even know existed back then. We sit here today. Because that story went around the world. See, we exist to show our community what Jesus would look like if he were on the earth. We're the hands and feet of Jesus, showing people what it means to be followers of Jesus. Which brings me back to Greenville Oaks. And the question I started with, do we love this city? Do we love the city we find ourselves in? See, in three weeks we're going to give a contribution to to give finances to to missionaries in places all over the world. It's going to be great and exciting to see what comes in. You're a generous church, and I'm excited to see how we go over the goal that we have. But for years we've seen missions as a program of the church. Right, we have a committee that kind of takes care of that over here, and we have our Mission Sunday. But I'm here to tell you, missions is not a, a program of this church. Mission is what the church is about. It's the lifeblood of the church. And, and the goal is not for a church to say, what is our mission so that God can bless it? No, no, no. God's, the church doesn't come up with a mission. God has a mission. The question is, does the church, does God's mission have this church? Are we caught and sold out to the mission that God has given to every church around the globe just to be salt and light and see what happens in our city if we live it out? We are not a church that does missions. We've got to be a church of mission. So here's a few thoughts as we kind of close today with a few things. In God's kingdom, every Christian is a missionary. And every home that we have is not just a house that we build so we can build memories with our families. Every home is a mission outpost of the kingdom. And every church is a training center to equip disciples to go out and do the real work that's out there. We train, we equip, we do everything we can to encourage so we can go out into the world and be his people. There are no sidelines in this game. We are all players. We're all on the field. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about missions overseas. That is very important, and we're not going to deny the importance of that. But if we're not doing it at home, we have no ground to stand on to go and send money other places because this is one of the largest mission fields for the 21st century. You do realize there are people who are sending people from other countries to America to plant churches to bring growth again here. That ought to be our prayer. God, would you send people to remind us what the kingdom of God is about from other places from other countries. Maybe Africa will be the place to bring revival here just as we've gone other places and and blessed others. Who knows what God's going to do to bring revival, but I believe it will come. I believe his church is not finished here. So I want to end with this question this morning and then one more challenge. If we were to shut the doors of Greenville Oaks tomorrow, which is not on the elders' agenda, by the way, and every ministry of our church disappeared, who would notice 
Would there be anyone who would protest the fact that we would close our doors? Would it even matter to anyone who's not a part of this church? I think for some of us, it would matter because we're, most of us, it would matter. But that's not really my question about us. The question is, would our community know anything different? What would be the response of that? And our scorecard ought to be that we have more people who follow Jesus because healthy things grow. But I think this is a scorecard for us to look at as well. We need to get to a place that if we were to ever move up and take, take this church somewhere else, which, again, is not in the plans. My point is just that ought to leave a hole here that can't be filled in the same way without us. Boy, that, that's my driving passion. I, I hope that becomes more and more the case. I'm not sure we're there where we need to be yet. But how can we take steps in that direction? And one of the ways we want to move toward that target is through a challenge we want to offer to you today. It's called the Just Go Challenge. And here's what it is. You all have been very generous with benevolence contribution this past year. We've, we've made our commitments to people in the community who've come to us with a need for benevolence. We've also uh, helped contribute to the community organizations like ACO and others that you met this morning that do all kinds of work in Allen and around Collin County to bless others. We've, we've helped them financially because they help others that we send to them. But we've got excess money left over, and here's the idea we've got. See, our Benevolence Committee can do a good job of you know, dealing with the people who come to them. They're aware of some people that might need, need benevolence. But the truth is, you all know many more people who need help from a fund like Benevolence than that team ever can. So the challenge is this. With the excess money we have, we would love for every connecting point group We'd love for families to discuss this around tables. We'd love for individuals to come with us with proposals of what you'd like to propose that money would go toward. And it's not going to be we write a check. We're asking for this to be a hands-on relational opportunity where you go and you give that money to someone you know is in need that would fit within the parameters of benevolence. The only thing we're asking in return from this that you'll commit to is we want to hear the testimony of what happens along the way as you build that relationship. Okay, so we're not talking about when it comes to people giving to benevolence. No one gave that so you can go to Starbucks and pay for the 100 people in line behind you, okay? Like we're talking about hands-on opportunity. If you know a need in your neighborhood, if you know a need of, of you know, a widow around that could have something built and, and you've got a team that's going to build a service project for that, whatever it might be that might be within the parameters of benevolence, we want you to send that to justgochallenge at greenvilleoaks.org, Okay? We want you to pray about this in your connecting point groups as families. Whatever you come up with, let us know what the need is, what that's going to be going to, and commit to giving us a testimony back of what happens, what God does. Our leaders are already praying that we'll have proposals that will come up that will get us to connect with people that we don't yet know that might get a chance to know the gospel because of the funds you've given and the way you're going to be able to put it in people's hands and offer a prayer with them, do whatever needs to be done to step up and help their lives. Does that make sense, what I'm, what, what I'm suggesting? So March 29th, we're going to come back together in four weeks after we've given on the 22nd. And we're not going to be asking for more donations. We've already got the donations because you all were so generous. We just get to give back a portion of that because we think in your hands, with the people you know, it's going to be a much greater impact than people coming to us and our team being the only ones to give that out. So be in prayer about that. Send that email to Just Go Challenge at any point over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to come back on the 29th and we're going to pray over those that have made those proposals that God would bless the funds that will be given, the relationships that will be built. I think some really cool stuff is going to emerge from this, okay? So don't let this drop. We're going to come back and remind you of this. But be, be thinking about in your neighborhood, in your families. I mean, who knows what the needs might be? It might be another person in this church you know needs help and might not come and ask for it. 
come and present those proposals, and then we're going to bless those opportunities and be able to do some really cool stuff. This is just one way we're going to try to bless our community in this month. Right now, I want to close uh, with a prayer, and then we'll have our benediction.